Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday morning. And let's see if we can do the Haftarah. I want to try to also do a one this week on um, Lag Bomer. Uh, today's podcast is being, the uh, Haftarah one, is being sponsored by the Harbors, by Ben Harbor, in, uh, from, originally from Baltimore and now in Beit Shemesh, she told me. Married a girl around the corner. Uh, very grateful for this. He said he went to law school with my son. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but Benyama Harbor, thanks a lot. From Beit Shemesh. It's getting hot in Baltimore, but I don't think it's as hot as it is in Beit Shemesh. Um, <coughs> this week's Haftorah is uh, Yecheskel. I think it's one of the more boring ones, unless you get into it, and then it's the opposite. A lot of these Haftorahs have this problem because, generally speaking, they're fragmented. You only have a piece. For the purposes of those who put together the Haftorah, it was just to be a reading in the synagogue to replicate in some degree the subject of the Parsha of the Week. Um, and so, you know, just if the Hamonam hears, as you do in this week about Kohanim, in Emor you have about rules of Kohanim, but he can marry, he can't marry, and that sort of thing. So in this Haftorah, you know, it's a part of Yecheskel, which is a very obscure and difficult book to read, and one of the more uh, obscure and difficult. So same thing you have about Kohanim and the rules and regulations and all that. However, if you read the whole, if you read it in context, in other words, you read, not that you would, but that's the point of this podcast. If you take the trouble to read the whole parsha, we started. It's a, it's called Parak for Mamdalid, uh, 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 and it's like starting pasuk. Uh, I don't know, Yates or I mean uh, Tesvav or something like that. In other words, it's it's a piece of a bigger uh, prophecy. And even though the chapters are Christian and all the rest of it, but here it's thematic. And so my point is, if you would have an idea what's flying. At the very least, you have to start at the beginning of Parak Memdalit. So you go to Shul, the Shabbos, and, and, and pull out a, uh, a book of Yecheskel with you, if you if you care to know the Haftarah at all. And you'll at least have to start at Memdalit. And honestly, you have to start at Mem. I don't mean that to be funny. <clears throat> I'm serious. And what I mean is, and, and at that level, it's actually a fascinating Haftarah. That's not boring. Um, and a very controversial one in Jewish history. Um... Perhaps you know, I've spoken about before, that when they canonized the Bible, when he decided what goes in and what goes out, let's call it the Anche Gesagdola, to simplify. So when the Anche Gesagdola uh, decided what goes in and what goes out, now the Chumash is already in, but everything else is up for grabs. So they're the ones who decided what goes in and what They canonized the Bible. They edited it. They did all that stuff. What we have is after it's gone through their meat grinder. Now, um, there were many books, had to have been, they were excluded. After all, there were a lot of Nevi'im running around once upon a time. Kiflam Kiyotzim Mitzrayim, if you take that literally, like the Gemara says in, in Megillah. Uh, but a very small number got into the final cut, that they're part of the Bible, the Old Testament. Now, um, we know, because the Gemara tells us in different places, that uh, there were some that were controversial, but they got in anyway. 
That's why we know, because they, they made the final cut. But they were controversial. Bikshu Lignos. Bikshu Lignos is safer Kohelis. Bikshu Lignos is safer, I don't know, with Sheriff Chairman and so forth. So, uh, there are five books, I've mentioned it before, that uh, were controversial and made the cut. The others that were controversial and did not make the cut, the Chazal succeeded in suppressing their memory. We don't know what they are. So, Yecheskel is one of them, one of the five. And it's always been a little hard for most people to understand because if you tell me Shira Shirim was controversial, no, it's like X-rated. If you tell me Kohelis is controversial, it's sort of apicorsish. Okay, I get it, the philosophical side. Uh, if you tell me the book of Esther was uh, controversial, well, it says she was afraid of anti-Semitism, or the, or the Chazal were. All right, I get it. That's three. Then you have the book of Job. All right, I get it. He raises questions about why does God do bad things to good people? And Job was a good person, Eov. Even though all the attempts are made to make him a bad person, but the Pasuk says he was a good person. And so, you know, let's put it this way. The Kash is better than the terrorists in the book. So I hear that it was controversial. But what's wrong with Yechezkel? <clears throat> Ezekiel is one of those prophets who gives a lot of musr. What, 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 what's your issue? You understand? It's a little strange. Well, you know, novies can be strange. What's the issue? And it turns out, our Haftorah today was the controversial part. Essentially. Okay? Essentially. Now, I'll get back to that shortly. If you know anything about, at all about Yechezkel, you know that at one point in chapter 40, He's taken a virtual reality tour. Okay? Virtual reality tour. So what do I mean? Yechezkel is a Navi. He was originally born in Israel, in Yerushalayim, in that, those places. He was carried off into captivity of Babylonia, round one. Because remember, there are two exiles, round one and round two, ten years apart. It's called Gos Yechania and Gos Tzikiyahu. Remember it says by Mordechai, so Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, uh, fought a war and captured Jerusalem. He was nice enough not to destroy the city. He simply deported the king with the elites. And he put another king, Sikio, in his place and said, don't rebel against me. You know, keep your nose clean. Stay out of politics and you'll do fine. Stupidly, Sikio didn't listen to that. And seven years later, he rebelled. And by 10 years, he was wiped out. That is pretty much the substance of the book of Jeremiah, Yermio, who had the bad luck to be in Israel while the government was screwing up the foreign policy. That's the book of Yermio. By contrast, Yechezkel, our hero today of the Torah, was a Kohen who was exiled with the elites. Like Mordechai, was round one when, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar captured the city the first time. And so, all the, story, all the prophecies of Yechezkel, this is unique are being delivered by God to the prophet Yechezkel in Babylonia. The Gemara discusses this because it's supposed to be only in Israel, but nevertheless it happened. So here you have a guy living in, in Babel who knows that the Chorban is coming in Jerusalem. I'll say it again. <clears throat> he was exiled and went to Babylonia 10 years before the base of Israel was totally destroyed. So he's like Cassandra. He's given prophecies and warnings. Soon the base of Israel will be destroyed. The Jews are screwing up. They're not listening, they're not doing tshuva. Uh, based on Migdash, it being profane, etc., etc. But he's far away. He's in bubble. He's just proclaiming these prophecies 
He's registering these prophecies, these protests, but he can't stop it. Okay? And at one point, he's wondering, you know, what's with Zion? And he lives through the destruction. And then part of the book is when he's talking about after the base of Misha is destroyed. So your Miyahu was in Eretz Yisrael, Yechezkel is in Babel. <clears throat> and he's talking about various aspects of uh, Jewish life. Uh, a whole bunch that are taking place post-Korban, right? Korban Bayes Rishon, post-Korban. So one of the things that happens, okay, is that he's given like a uh, like a Tinkerbell tour, uh, uh, a virtual reality tour of Yerushalayim and, and, and a base of Mish that does not exist yet. So I want to be clear about this. Physically, he's in Babylonia. But mentally, uh, prophetically, he's being taken somewhere else. So here's the part with prophecy. It's not physically happening, but it is happening. <clears throat> it's not a fantasy. You understand? I could be a writer and have a great fantasy like Shakespeare. Nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong as long as I'm honest and say it's a fantasy. As a matter of fact, the Harry Potter makes a fortune, right? It's a fantasy. Here, it's not. A, it's happening, but it's happening in spiritual reality, not physical reality. <clears throat> and at the beginning of chapter, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Forty Mem. Uh, so uh, he has a Yom Kippur experience. A Yom Kippur. Experience. Now this is understandable. Imagine a guy who's holding by the level of Madriga Madrig of Navua, and it, it requires a great deal of ability to meditate among other things, you know, to concentrate on the holy things and exclude from your mind everything else. That's the essence of prophecy. And imagine what it's like for him on Yom Kippur. And imagine what it's like for him on Yom Kippur when the base of Misha is destroyed and the Jewish people are in, are in suffering and in exile. And he says, I'm, I'm reading from the beginning of chapter 40, because this is the background for the Haftorah today. So what that means is, in the 25th year of the Gaulus, in the 14th year after Beis Hamidus was destroyed, so this is 14 years after Tishabov. Okay? It's a decade and a half after Tishabov when the temple was destroyed. At the beginning of the year, on the 10th month, okay? At the beginning of the year, Be'asar Lachodesh, okay? Brosh Hashanah Be'asar Lachodesh. So the bottom line is this Yom Kippur, okay? So what happened to Yechezkel in Babylonia, in Golis, in depression on Yom Kippur? The hand of the God, you know, uh, came upon me, which the Mitzudis means God forced me against my will to go on a vision, okay? And he brought me here mentally to Israel. And Israel, which is only existing in Ruchnius, not in physical. But it makes very clear that it was through Nevuah. Okay? He didn't physically travel there, but it's Nevuah. Okay? So everything for the next bunch of chapters is, is sort of connected with this state of, 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 of consciousness, including our Haftar today. He's a prophet, and he's seeing things, and he's being told messages about a future Eretz Yisrael and a future Yishalayim, and frankly, a future temple, a future temple, which he's then going to describe. This is what you call the third temple. It's very famous. There are books on this. Um, there are Gedolim, like the Tosis Yontu, who wrote whole 
Vilna Gong, who will hold descriptions of what's called Bayes Ashlishi. If you get the art scroll, Yechesko, I'm sure Rabbi Eisman has all the architectural stuff in there. And in chapter 41, 40, 41, 42, 43, it goes in all that architecture business. And then you come to our parak today in our Haftorah, chapter 44, but we, again, only have the second half. But the first half is, like, really important, okay? The first half is, like, really important. So what happens, let me get uh, here, the beginning of chapter 44. Our Haftorah starts in the middle. But as I said before, it's a shame because the background is what you have to know to understand the Haftorah. And it says over here, Vayashav osi darsharach amigdash hachitzun hapona kodim b'husagort. Okay? So in other words, at the beginning of chapter 44, God then, having taken the prophet against his will, on a virtual reality tour, uh, a spiritual virtual reality tour of um, Eretz Yisrael and the and the um, Beis Hamikdash and taking him through the inside. So he's still there. Now he's describing that he took me back to the outer temple facing east, okay, which was closed. And he said the door will remain closed; it won't be open until Mashiach or something like that. Okay. Now here's the point I want to get at. After talking with all this architecture business, when you go in that chapter to Pasuk Vov, right? This is chapter 44, 6. Speak to the rebellious members of Klai Yisrael. So, in other words, Hashem is saying there will be a third temple, a second, if you wish, when the Jews returned sometime after this and rebuilt the second temple. They did something weird. They partially copied the instructions you find in Book Yechezkel and partially did not. If you want to be very spiritualistic about it, I'll bet you that Barbanel or somebody says this right. It means that the second temple, they weren't sure. If they get it right and don't screw up, then it, that would be the final temple. If not, they, they wouldn't. So therefore, it was actually constructed partially along the lines of the third temple and partially not. That reflected the ambiguous nature of Bias Janey which is a constant discussion by itself, because what do you need by Shani for? This is a famous issue raised by the Barbadell and others. What's even the, and, and the book of uh, uh, Daniel, you know, what do you call Nita by Shani? Why don't you just, uh, you know, wait till you do it right, and then the temple will remain. In other words, why don't the Jews continue in Gaulus like we've been today, skip the whole period of 500 years with a by Shani, and wait till, you, till, till we do Teshuvah, or something like that, and then have a bias, and that'll be there forever. Why have something that's only temporary? But we'll put that aside for the moment. Let's concentrate on what God is telling Yechezkel in this Nevoah, which is in today's Haftor, the background for it. And the most important part is he says, Amarta Omeri, Omeri means rebellion. Okay? So say to the rebellious ones, to the base Yisrael, right? Enough of your abominations. Rav I can't stand the way, God says, you mistreated, you abused the temple. So if we're going to have another base of Mish, don't screw it up like you did the last time. Okay? Now, what did they do wrong? Among other things, the Kohanim stunk, and they allowed un- unworthy people, including Gaim, apparently, uh, to hang around the base of Mish, which is not supposed to be. So instead of base of Mish being a place of great Kedusha, solemnity, yakish, you know, like that, it became like a shtibble in back of bar park, they're hocking, you know, so you're thinking... 
based on Mikish with all the Kedusha, baloney. This guy's offering a carbon, and two guys, you know, like they say, Nishtav Shabbos Gered, but how much is that car? You know, in the base of Migdash. As I can't stand it, Baviachem Bnei Nechar, you brought in Bnei Nechar, Arle Lev, for Arle Basar, Lias for Migdashi, Lechal as Basi. You brought in people who are circumcised of, uncircumcised of heart, as well as of flesh. Notice, Goyim, plus bad Jews. If you're a bad Jew, you are a lave. Get it? Oral Busser would be somebody's not Jewish. So you let all these people in there, lechala lois beisimik, to be mechala the beisimikdash, to profane it. And bahakrivim is lachmi, vadam, vayafiris brisel koltov esechem. So he's letting them have it over here. He's really uh, um, uh, criticizing them, right? Uh, let's see it in English. Enough of your abominations with your bringing of foreigners, uncircumcised heart, that's your bad Jews, and flesh to loiter in the temple. That's what I told you. It's like a shoal, people hang around the back. It, it boggles the mind, but the, the prophet describes this. It boggles the mind to think there was a Kiddush Rishon in Beis Amigdash, but it was. And Mamash a Kiddush Rishon with booze, because later on, in our Parsha today, our Torah, one of the rules is going to be no drinking. Now why does God have to say no drinking? What does that indicate? It was drinking. Now, what does that mean? A coin, as you all know from none of an Avihu story, is not allowed to drink. I know the rules. But <laughs> there's two things out there. A, there's the rules. B, is what people do. So, you know, when the priesthood is honest and straight, they don't touch a drop. When the priesthood is like Hoffney Pinchas, <laughs> you do touch a drop. You get it? So this is what was happening at the time the Bayes Rishon was destroyed. And therefore, the Navi is saying like this, God is telling me, I don't want this anymore. Right? I don't want this again. And so again, when you bring in a foreigner's uncircumcised hearts and flesh to loiter in the temple, profane the house with offering the bread, flat, blood, uh, bread, fat, and blood to violate the bris with all your abominations, okay? You're not, tre- like we say today, you're not treating the shul with the proper derech Except here, you're talking about the basic English. Right? You point to yourselves whenever you choose to be keepers of the house. Now, I'm telling you, I don't want this, okay? I don't want this. I don't want any bad Jews. I don't want any drunks. I don't want any loiterers. I don't want any hawkers. I don't want people hanging around based on English in the back with the cell phone on and all that stuff. And also, I'm not finished. Novi says, and I repeat, this is just immediately preceding our Haftorah. That's why I'm taking the trouble to read this. And he says, and I don't want these lousy levies either. Okay? These no good levies. These levies are supposed to be the frummies. Instead, they worship idols and do and follow all their uh, averas. Only from guys should do it, okay? But I don't want these levies, okay? I don't want the people who, before them, worship idols and were like a, a stumbling block for Klai Yisrael, okay? Uh, he might be referring to Kohanim here. I don't want these people to offer the Karbonus. Let them bear their own shame. Don't have to bring their shameful behavior into the precincts of the base of Migdash. 
I don't want these guys. So God is saying, when the base of Mishra will be finally rebuilt, especially the way he wants, with the bias that he showed Yechezkel, the ideal temple, which will turn out to be the third one, we hope. Uh, it could have been the second, but it turned out to be the third. When it is the ideal temple, then there are certain types of Kohanim I do not want. Right? And they're the bums and the lousy ones and this, not the other. They are Kohanim. Right? The B'nai Levi, they are Kohanim. They are Levian. You know, hereditarily, like I mentioned the other day when I did the podcast on Parshish Zemmar, they are a hereditary elite. They do have the blood. After all, the frumest guy in the world who's not a Kohen can't do the Avodah. It is a hereditary elite. But a hereditary elite in and of itself doesn't give you anything. You have to be the right type, the from person, right? And therefore, all these Kohanim and Levim who acted improperly, despite their lineage, and despite the fact that they are Kohanim and Levim, out. I don't want them over here, right? As he says before, Rav Lechem, he called However, and now starts our Haftorah, there are other Kohanim who are from. To them, I'm, I'm addressing, and I'm saying, these were the pe- these will be the people who will serve in the third temple. The Kohanim Alvim, the Bnei Tzadok, that was the from ones, Asher Shambas, Mishra Mikdashi, Besos Bnei Tzadok, they stayed from when the others went off to Derech. Now, as they proved themselves, Hey, Maya Karbala, the Sharsani, they're the ones I want to serve in the third temple. They were the ones who will... See, you understand, if you just read, as people do, just the Haftorah itself, is a boring. If you see the dramatic difference between the preceding clause and this one, where he talks about the bad Kohanim on the one hand, and he curses them out, and then he says, these are the from ones, then you see it's already dramatic. They're the ones who will serve in the third temple. And they'll get it right. And to these guys, the Frumis, the Frum Kohanim, I address the following rules. Then he gives all these rules for Psukim about um, how they should walk in and go through this door and not that door, and so on and so forth, right? They enter the inner court. And he has this whole shtick where they have to wear a big deal of them, you know what I mean? Linen vestments. Uh, and there was no wool and all the rest of it. Now, what is that? What is that? As a Kohen Gadol wears that on Yom Kippur. Here we start to have the problem. Uh, what's going on in the book of Yechezkel? From now on to the end, there are problematic bits here and there which make this very dramatic. The Gemara and Shabbos, perhaps you will recall this. Um, like I say, I'm not into the Dafyomi, but I don't think the Dafyomi was so long ago in Shabbos, was it? Maybe they were. If now they're in Yuma. But you know what I mean. And if you'll perhaps, perhaps recall... Um, pulling out of Shabbos here on your Gimel, it says just before it's talking about the Yud Chesdaver, you know. So it says in your Gimel, Amar Yud Amarav, this is Gemara in Shabbos, Yud Gimel on the base. Baram Zacharos Ish Latov, Chanani Mechiskia Shmo. Remember the following name for posterity, Chanani Mechiskia, She'il Molihu, Nignas Sefer Yecheskel. If not for him, they would have not allowed the book of Yecheskel to be in the canon, it wouldn't have been included in the Bible, right? In who, if not for his efforts, Nignaz, Sefer Yecheskel. The book of Yecheskel would have been Genizad. Shalyudvarov, Sosim Divri Torah. Okay? Because there are books, there are words in Yecheskel which contradict what it says in the Chumash. In other words, 
what it says in chapter 40, 44, what you and I are doing in Aftar today, parts of it are not the same as you find in the Chumash. Rashi gives a few examples. Right? So we'll see in a minute. It sounds like only Kohanim can eat in the Veil of Trefa, whereas you and I know no Jews allowed to eat that. There are other passages. Part of it, now, anything is possible in Miyashiv. And if you read a, um, you get like the Mikris Gedolas, Yecheskel, which everybody should get, they already do the job for you. In other words, they're post-Talmudic, obviously. Rashi, uh, Ibn Ezra, and so forth and so on. You know, whoever it is, the Sifzi Acham, I mean, um, Radak, and, uh, you know, they're already uh, taking the trouble to uh, reconcile. But on the face of it, uh, there's all kind of stuff in here, which is identical Chumash. What is this business, for example, that he's saying now that Kohanim have to wear white garments? Okay? Uh, that's for Kohen Gadol. He's Hoya Bavom, Al-Shari, Chatz, and Panimus, Big Day Pishtim, Yolbashu, Below Yalu, Alem, Tzem, Rebbe, Sharsim, Al-Shari, Chatz, and Panimus, They can't wear it. I'm like, what's that? Pari Pishtim, Yol, Barosha, Mechtan, Say Pishtim, Has to be Pishtim? That's not in the Chumash. Right? And, um, and when they go out, these are not in there. So, many try to reconcile in the following way. The Kohanim in the Third Temple, the Frumis, the ones who are the real thing, will live a higher standard. Uh, they'll be Hasidus. They'll do more than is required. Right? So, therefore, it doesn't contradict the Chumash. The Chumash was like baseline. And these guys will do beyond baseline, okay? And uh, because they're going to want to be totally exemplary. And here's an interesting passage, and I'm saying this two days before Lag Bomber, where you can't get a haircut. I find this very interesting. You want the Kohanim uh, to be exemplary, especially in their appearance. Right? Hair should not be too long, too short. They shouldn't be uh, get a triple zero. But on the other hand, they shouldn't let it grow long. So basically, they should get a haircut, you know, every day to every few days, and so on and so forth. You know, so a coin didn't go around looking up here, I don't know, like a lababacher or something like that, you know, with a long beard. Everything got to be trimmed every day, you know. You have a nice, neat beard, or I don't know, what, whatever it is. But it's just an interesting puzzle. Not too long, not too short. Roshel megalechu, apparently shalechu. Okay? Uh, so anyway... Uh, Rashi, you know, twists and turns, try to figure out what is Kosam Lo Yitzim. I won't go into that. And Yayin Lo Yishakon, no booze, which seems to have been the problem before, when he had Arle Lave and Arle Basar and all kind of uh, bad people. Uh, what did he say? Base Hameri. Uh, if that's what he was complaining about before, we're telling these Kohanim in here, no booze, don't touch a drop. Yayin Lo Yishakon, Bo Chatzapanimus. And then comes a very controversial pasuk. It says, uh, and this caused all the stuff that the Gemara was talking about. It says, Almona Grusha Lenoshin. They can't marry an Almona Grusha. Huh? What? A coin can marry an Almona. My father did. <laughs> a coin can marry. A coin can't marry a Grusha. That's true. So here you have juxtaposed. It's just interesting to me that they chose to put this as the Aftor for Parsha Shemar. Because the words contradict them, or at least on the face of it. At least on the face of it. So a coin can only marry a basula 
Kim Basulis and Mizera Beis Yisrael. They can either marry a girl who's not an Almana or a Grusha, only a Basula from a Jewish family. That's a hard uh, passage to translate, but the part of the shot with that is, or a coin could marry an Almana of another coin, which is not the din, right? So in other words, if, if someone's a coin, he can either marry a girl, not a Gioris, of course, he can only marry a girl who's Bas Yisrael, but she's got to be a Basula. Right? Hold on. Here's another one he can marry. An almana from a fellow coin. Get it? If if it was a lady was married, not, not a coin, got a regular coin. If a lady was married and her husband died and he was a coin, she could marry another coin. Almana, sherti, almana mi coin, yikachu. Now the Gemara in Kedushin has a different way of darshaning it. I won't go into that. You know, that's a... Uh, but what are they trying to do over here? They're try, they're, they're, and, and it's all based on Targumionism, by the way. But anyway, uh, it's an example of, of what this Hanani Mechesim and Gorin had to do. I mean, he had to go through all the parts in Yechesko that seemed to be funny, like our Haftorah today, and he had to be Miyashavit the way that uh, the Mepharshim are Miyashavit. Uh, Rashi, if you care for this, you know, Rashi says, Yeshmen HaKonishim Mutarm Balmano, so, yeah, it's strange. Uh, the Malbim is really strange because the Malbim says that there'll be a rule like this. See, so he's saying that they'll just adopt as a matter of chasidus, like I told you before. It'll be a chumrah. The chumrah gives you, Parsha Zemra gives you a baseline, and in the time of Baishlishi, they'll want to do beyond baseline. Okay, then we went beyond baseline, and uh, so that was one of the the, the very controversial uh, pesukim over there. And he goes on to describe how they operate and so on and so forth. And at the very end, kol nevelo trefa mina ofman abeim aloch lo yachlu akonim. Well, uh, duh, <laughs> like you know, what, what, why would you think so? Okay, now the Gemara in Menacha says lefisha hotra. I'm reading Rashi. The Digmar says, since there was mutter to them, the Malikas Chatas Of, you know, they kill it with the, with their fingernail. So you might not have a hamamina that calling the Vela Trefa is okay for a coin. I get that. But again, when the public reads this, it sounds like a coin can't eat a Vela Trefa, but a regular Jew can. Those are not my words, those are the words of Rashi and the Gemara and Yudgimel. When the Gemara says, Ilmolihu, Nigna, Sefer Yecheskel, Shoyudvariv, so stream, Devrei Torah, Rashi says, Kagon, Nevelo Trefa, Lo Yechua Kaonin, Holy Yisrael Ochlem. In other words, it's Mashma that only uh, a Kohen can eat Nevelo Trefa, but a regular Jew couldn't. Now, what they mean by all this is simple. <clears throat> we can understand how to be Miyashev things, but if the public reads it, the public is going to misunderstand this. And they'll come to the wrong conclusions. There are many books that were excluded from the canon because um, the, they're afraid the public will misunderstand it. Take, for example, as he said before, uh, they understood Shlomo Melch's not writing a love story. I get that. He's writing a mashal. Right. But the reader won't understand that. You understand? The public, the Hamon won't understand that. <clears throat> they'll think it's okay to have a love story. 
that is the basis of the art scroll that they won't translate Sher uh, Sherim, you know, into into regular English. They use only the uh, marshals. Why? It's because their art scroll is like this. We don't trust the average American English reader, you know, to understand this. The Talmud Chacham will understand. The person who's learned will understand. But the person who's reading Sher Sherim won't understand. So they based a lot of their calculations on what the public, the Hamunam, will do and understand and misunderstand. And our Parsha today, our Haftar is a famous example of that. The Marsha over there in, uh, in the next parak in uh, Lamed famously says that when it came to, uh, you can look at yourself, Lamed on the base, uh, Yecheskel and Mish, I mean, when it came to the Shlomo's books, uh, Mishle and uh, the other one, Kohelis, they looked for internal consistencies. But not by Yecheskel. They weren't looking for consistencies. They were looking ways, rather, to reconcile what you see over there in such a way it shouldn't contradict what it says in the Chumash and Parsha Zemor. Gabi Sefer Yecheskel should darshuhu shlo yeisosu de retoro lo kamer hasam time that you know that it's internally consistent. Mishum de Yecheskel muchzik lo navi haya. The Chazal were very well aware that the prophet Yecheskel was a navi. The truth is, if you do your calculations, it's possible he was part of Anshu Yecheskel himself, or at least recently died. So they knew Yecheskel is the real thing. Udvarov kulam nevua. Okay? The only thing is, it doesn't matter. You can have the holiest person in the world. If if it's, here's what you call, um, uh, what's the right word? Uh, writing and talking in a certain way. Uh, if you don't calculate your words very carefully, then uh, you can cause a big screw-up. The greatest people in the world are capable of this. If you don't take the trouble to think exactly of what you want to say. In other words, not like a podcast, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and they're afraid about this in, in connection with Yecheskel. This could happen to Moshe Rabbeinu. Everybody who's a speaker or a rabbi knows, as the expression goes, there's the speech that I prepare, the speech that I deliver, and the speech that you hear. Right? And I can tell you, being in the rabbi business, many times... I'll say X, Y, and Z, and someone will come over to me later and say, oh, that was a good point you made, such and such and so and so. I didn't have that idea in mind. But that guy, that's what he heard. Maybe that's where he's holding in life. Maybe some other reason. That's what he heard. It's not at all what I meant to say. Doesn't matter, you see? Now, ordinarily, who cares? But if it's something important, or a moon, or, you know, this, that, and the other, it cares, you see? So, um, I mean, you know, if it's like that, then you care. So the point is, um, you have to be very careful how you formulate things. Uh, that's why it's good to write it all out. Now I don't write out speeches, but I'm just saying it's proper to do so if, if, if it matters to the audience you're doing. So to be perfectly honest, I write speeches if I do a hespit, you know, a, a eulogy. Because there are people, you know, it matters. You don't want to say something people misunderstand. Uh, now I'll tell you again, Moshe Rabbeinu himself, the greatest person, screwed up in this. <coughs> It's not me, this is a Gemara. Uh, perhaps you will recall this. His grandson was a priest by the idols, by Pesel Micha, correct? Yonas and Megershim and Menasha, which really is Moshe. Yonas and Megershim and Moshe. So the grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu was a, a, a coin by the Pesel Micha, by idols. How can such a thing be? So there's a Gemara there in uh, Yeshnochlin that says, story, that Moshe Rabbeinu came home from a hard day's work. He had a board meeting with the Jewish people at Klai Yisrael. We know from the Chumash the Jews drove him crazy, Yom Valila, 
Ad kedekach that Moshe said, I can't take the Jews anymore. Kill me. Im ayin hargeni no harog. Right? And Moshe said, better mutav lavod avodazara milos managal Yisrael. Something like that. Better to do avodazara than to be a leader of Jewish people. Now, anybody's in the rabbi business, especially with a large congregation, they go burnout, you know? He's had that. Heck with these balabatim, to the devil with them, better be a or all the rest of it. This grandson heard the grandfather, the, this is all from the Gemara, grandfather say, better do a Vodazar than be a monogal Kali Yisrael. And he said, oh, it's better to worship idols. Better do a Vodazar. And therefore, later on in life, when he needed Parnosa, he became a priest by the idols. Even though he's a grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu, who missed her anti-idol, but it could happen. That's the story. The Gemara says what Moshe really meant to say was like this. Better to do avodazara, strange work, known as uncongenial work, than Pimanag and Klai Yisrael. So the guy said, I want to go into rabbi business because I don't want to be a garbage collector. It's not who I am. No, better be a garbage collector than be a rabbi. That's what Moshe really meant. Do work with avodazara. He didn't mean idols. He meant literally avodara, avodal, the type of work which is zara. Look, some people are cut out to be CPAs and other people cut out to be nurses. So for a nurse to be a CPA would drive her crazy. For a CPA to be a nurse, it goes sick at the sight of blood. You understand? Okay? Some are meant to be teachers and some are not. Some are meant to be businessmen and some are not. Okay? So there's what you call avoda, which is congenial to you, which is a natural. Those are the lucky people in life. If their particular type of work in which they're engaged, their profession or whatever it is, their panosa, is something that they're good at, they feel comfortable in. And now, but there are other people, the circumstances of life are such that they were, end up, you know, having to do other things which are not congenial to them. <clears throat> There's a million people in the yeshiva world that are dreaming they'll be a magashir. It didn't work out like that. Now they get a job with the government or something like that. It's avodazara, but they do what they got to do because they got to pay bills and they're responsible people have support of family. But it's avodazara. So my point is like this. This was not a speech Moshe Rabbeinu was giving. This is his venting when he came home. But look how the he meant one thing and the, and the grandson heard the other way. And look at the consequences that he became a priest by the idols and this Pesel Micha was there for 500 years. You see what I'm saying? So you have to have this in mind if you're down against Agdola and you're deciding what goes in and what goes out. It doesn't matter solely what the author had in mind. Obviously, if Yechezko the Novi and he says, a coin and a mon and this and that and the other, he doesn't mean it to contradict what it says in Pasha Zemmor. Right? But if it will be taken that way, then you have to watch out the consequences. When the Novi says at the end of our Haftorah, he doesn't mean only the Kohanim can eat Nevela Trefa. Obviously, he didn't mean that. He's a Novi. But it sound it could sound like it. Let me rephrase. It could sound like that. And I know exactly the type of all boss. <laughs> He'll say, Oh, the rabbi only said a coin can't eat it. <laughs> you get it? The guy's looking for Hector. Uh you just said a coin can't eat it. And so uh our Haftorah therefore ends up being uh, interesting and strange in that regard, because he has all these uh, uh instructions for what the Kohanim uh, should do. And uh it's kind of repetitious of what you find in Parshish Emor, but the background is the one in which it says that the, that the priests have messed up, they've screwed up, and there are a lot of Arle Lev and Arle Bosar, and therefore it's necessary to give a reprise, a repeat of the rules, 
so that when the base of Mishnah is rebuilt, which he obviously hoped would be soon, um, these Kohanim would, would uh, stay on the straight and narrow path. So we end up having, as I said before, a Haftarah, which if you just look at it on the base of it, there's like rules and regulations, all the rest of it. But if you understand it, it's actually very dramatic, uh, emotional, against the background of what had been uh, frustrating, which was there was, had been a base of Migdash, but the Kohanim had not, not acted properly. The Levim had not acted properly. It's not enough to say she abundant base of Migdash, Mary Amenu. So what? If the base of Migdash came back tomorrow, tomorrow, are the Jewish people, ho- honestly, honestly, are the Jewish people holding that ready for base of Migdash, or will we start to have trouble? You get it? Who'd be in charge? And is the Klal Yisrael ready, you know, to have a base of Migdash? Even though we say it all the time at Davening, are we willing to act in the right way? Or Taka would it end up with a Kiddush Rishon? It sounds funny, but it's actually not funny. At least, let me put it this way. That is the point of the Haftorah today. With that, I wish you the Shabbos. I thank once again Ben Harbor and the Harbor family that's in uh, Beit Shemesh uh, for the sponsorship. Uh, we're trying to move week by week. We're still short one for next week, but hopefully everything will work out. As I said before, I wish you all a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.